When tough times come, you may be tempted to blame God, but a better path to take is to cry out to God and draw near to Him. That's the lesson in front of us today on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Maybe you've been through a crisis or a tragedy in recent months. It can really hit us hard, and we might even wonder at such times, why? Why would God do this? But is it wise to blame God when bad things happen or calamities occur? We'll wrestle through that question today on Abounding Grace as Pastor Ed Taylor returns to his study of 1 Samuel. The plan today is to cover chapter 4, where the nation of Israel was blaming God for the calamity they went through. This world's hard and it's tough, and a lot of people are down and out and hurting and hungry. So whether it's a hunger pain or a calamity or in the, it's no small thing to lose 4,000 people. But to blame God, what needed to happen was they need national repentance and prayer. If they had a time of national repentance, crying out to God, no doubt God would have met them and spoken to them. But it's interesting to me that the people don't really want anything to do with God. They don't want to seek the guidance of God yet. They're not ready to lay their lives down. They don't want to submit their lives to God. And I meet people like that too, where they're just not ready or not willing. And thus was Israel, like so many today, blaming God for their tragedies and calamities, but never seeking God for guidance and direction for their lives. Instead, Instead, what we find here with the nation of Israel, they call for the Ark of the Covenant. That'll do it. We, we want the Ark of the Covenant, which was basically a box that God instructed to be built, made of wood overlaid with gold, with a lid, the mercy seat, two angels on either side, where once a year on the day of atonement, the priest would go into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle blood upon the mercy seat for the atonement of the sins of the people, the people of the covenant. And instead of seeking the God of the box, they sought the box. I see that happen as well. Their solution was to use the ark as a good luck charm. That's what we need. We need the ark. We need the ark of the covenant to be with us. They're internally longing for the presence of God, but externally they substitute for something that's empty. They became idolatrous with the ark of the covenant. Same thing happens today with necklaces and amulets and little idols and rosary beads and Virgin Mary candles and little altars that are set up. Those all speak to me of a desire to be close to God. But they're all poor substitutes for the presence of God. That's what's happening here. We long for the presence of God. And the good news is, is that The presence of God is in every true believer. We don't lose the presence of God. We lose the consciousness of the presence of God. 
And a lot of people will use those things in their lives to remind them of the consciousness of the presence of God, when in reality, the presence of God has never left. He indwells in us. They're just things. We do not want to look to objects when we need to look to the Lord. Objects or even they're looking at the Ark of the Covenant superstitiously as if it has some power. But the power was the presence of God, not the box. The very presence of God. Verse 5 now. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all of Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. Now when the Philistines, they're so excited. This is exciting. This is amazing. And now when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, what does the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. So the Philistines were afraid and they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us, for such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us, who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. So what does it do in verse 9? They tell, they tell each other, Be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated and every man fled to his tent and there was a very great slaughter. They'll feral now Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. So what they, be, what they really believed would aid them in victory had the exact opposite effect which you note takers need to understand something. Whenever you choose the arm of the flesh over the leading of the spirit, great failure awaits. There is no way around it. If you sow to the flesh, the Bible says, you and I will reap corruption. Corruption. Getting the ark stirred up the children of Israel so much that it startled the Philistines and it stirred them up to even fight harder. Well, you know, if, the God, if they've got their God, then we need to fight hard. And the children of Israel found out that it was no power in the box. It's the presence of God that brought power. So they relied on their own strength, the children of Israel here, in thinking the ark that was their victory and not the Lord of the ark. Not only that, they failed, number one, because they relied on their own strength. Number two, they fought without the presence and the blessing of God. Because we know that with the presence and the blessing of God, we'll know, we haven't, we haven't learned it yet, but we will in the future in Joshua. We've already studied Joshua because we, we took the books out of order. But later on in this, the history of Israel, we'll find out that God gives Joshua very specific fighting orders March around the city and for six days on the seventh day, march a little more and scream and you'll win. That was the presence of God. The direction was not military. It wasn't strategy from, you know, all the sessions of previous battles or anything. It was just do what I say and I'll fight for you. And here the opposite. They, they got the, what are we supposed to do? Why is God against us? Let's get the ark. Let's get, yeah, let's get the ark. That'll do it. We'll take the presence of God. But God wasn't with them. And they relied upon the strength of their own flesh. They fought with, apart from the blessing of God in the presence and their human plan backfired and stirred up the Philistines to fight harder. And such is the result of the plans of man. Disaster. Thousands more lives lost. Would you turn over to Galatians chapter 3 that I might encourage you with this truth? Galatians chapter 3. We won't spend a lot of time on it, but enough to remind you in Galatians chapter 3. Would you pick up with verse 1 with me? Paul writing to the churches in the Galatia region. 
churches that have had a strong uh, relationship with God, had great fruit in their relationship with God, been used greatly, and Paul writes to them, O foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? The o- this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Now check this out, verse 3. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? And I ask you to ask the same question of yourself. Have you begun your relationship with God in the Spirit and now you're so foolish of trying to perfect it in the flesh? Have you begun with the, the clear leading of God and the, 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 his speaking to you in the spirit and now over time you have become smarter or more wiser or you've got a few experiences under your belt so now you have the answer for everything because you've experienced it and you've been through it and you were, you're, just in, you're not getting a fresh word from the Lord for the situation in front of you. Don't you see the foolishness of leaving the work of the spirit? You started so well. You were even persecuted for your faith, he would tell the Galatians. You were taunted and ridiculed and made fun of, you, but you believed and God changed you. And now you're attempting in your own power and your own strength to move forward and you're stalled. And that's a trap that many people fall into, trying to help God out a little bit. I'll help you out, Lord. What's the biggest, I can think of the biggest, the biggest episode of trying to help God out had, has to be, if, if there are top five, you know, this is one of the top five, is Abram and Sarai not waiting on the Lord for the promised child. And Sarah, you know, the impatience, and I, understand, I, can, I can grasp a little bit of the impatience, the impossibility of the womb, just looking at each other and going, you know, I know God said we're gonna get a kid, but, but look at you. Well, look at you. Like, <laughs> You're old, man. You know, so are you. I, I don't think it's going to happen. I just don't think, yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, look at you. I know, look at you. You know, you just have those conversations. Do you have a kid yet? What do you mean have a kid yet? You know, just like, we're old. But we're not dumb. We can help God out a little bit. He promised a kid. You're still alive. Yep, I'm still alive. Yep, we may not be able to produce a kid, but I bet you we could figure it out. I got a handmaid. It's custom. What's the big deal? Everybody does it. Why don't you just, well, you know, just go into the handmaid. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's not you, Abram. Maybe it's me. And then we'll just, just go ahead and go into her. And, and he does, like an idiot. He does. It's just like, you know, we, we are like that. We just don't get it. We get caught up in the flesh and we get caught up in fear and we get caught up in anxiety and we get caught up in the moment and it leads us to making dumb, fleshly, idiotic decisions. There's another word for that. Sin. And they didn't wait. And the handmaid, Hagar, she, she did. She, she was with child. She gave birth. Remember his name? Ishmael. The problem of Ishmael is still with us today in a very real way all throughout the Middle East. Still with us today. I wonder though, lest we point the finger at Abram and Sarai because they're long gone in heaven enjoying the presence of God because they got there not because of their failure but they got there by faith. They, um, they got there by faith, not by their works, not by their failures. I wonder how many little Ishmaels we've got running around in our life. 
where we just, maybe not so big, that's causing world turmoil the rest of our lives. (laughs) But how about family turmoil? Issues in our own personal lives or in our minds because we decided that we were gonna help God out a little bit. It's never too late to, to repent and to turn back from that. But you've gotta admit it. You can't go, oh God, what calamity you've brought on me. I don't know, you need to really ask yourself, is that a little Ishmael? And just present your Ishmael to the Lord and say, God, I'm sorry. Help me. You see the weakness of my life. We don't want to leave. We're not going to help God out. The Bible says being confident, Philippians chapter 1, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Ishmael or not, God will finish his work. God will complete it. You don't need to help him out. You don't need to jump in to help things. Just cry out to him. God doesn't need my help. I need his. And if I don't learn my lesson... 4,000 deaths is going to turn to 30,000, and a lot of people are going to get hurt. Now, of course, those numbers may not be true for us, but what if it just went from 4 to 30? That's over seven times worse than the first time. It wasn't double. You know, it's, it's difficult. We, we, well, not only that, look how, verse 11 now, it says, and the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli and Hophni and Phinehas died. Then a man of Benjamin ran from the battle in line into the same day and came to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. And when he came there, there was Eli sitting on the seat by the wayside watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told it all, the city cried out. And when Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, what does the sound of this tumult mean? And the man came hastily and told Eli. Eli was 98 years old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see. Verse 16. Then the man said to Eli, I am he who came from battle. I fled today from the battle line. And he said, what happened, my son? And so the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines and there's been a great slaughter among the people. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead and the ark of God was, was been captured. Then it happened when he heard the mention of the ark of God that Eli fell off the seat backward by the side of the gate. His, back was, his neck was broken and he died for the man was old and heavy and he had judged Israel 40 years. About 20 miles away, the battlefield, if you look on a map, it's about 20 miles away. So this poor messenger had to carry a heavy message, you know, running back for all this 20 miles uh, over a day's journey. And he met anxious Eli. Eli's concerned. He hears the tumult. He hears everything that's going on. And it wasn't, the, the sad thing about this is it wasn't the loss of his kids that caused him to fall over. He was upset about the ark. You could see how far he was as a leader away from the heart of God. It wasn't the people that moved him. It was the religious artifacts. And believe me, the Ark of the Covenant was a very important piece of furniture for the nation of Israel. But it wasn't more important than people. The blood of the atonement, when it was spread, when it was by the high priest going in once a year, it was on the Ark of the Covenant for the sake of the people. Jesus died for people. God gave himself for people. Whenever things are more important to you than people, you just know you're not right. You just know it. And that's what did Eli in. Remember, God, through little Samuel, told him, this is how it's going to go down. You guys are going to die on the same day. That's what happened. Verse 18 now, or 19. 
Now his daughter-in-law, Phineas's wife, was with child due to be delivered. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured, that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself, gave birth, and her labor pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the woman who stood by her said to her, Do not fear, for you have borne a son. But she did not answer, nor did she regard it. Then she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel, because the ark of God had been captured, and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said... The glory has departed from Israel, and the ark of God has been captured. And so faced with such horrific news of her husband's death and Eli's death and all the bad news of the ark and defeat, Phineas's wife is despondent. She gives birth, utters her baby's name, Ichabod. The glory has departed, and it was the fleshly decisions of the nation and the leadership that led this young woman to face sorrow in a time of gladness. Of course, she was married to a man who lived in a fleshly uh, lifestyle. We knew that already, but it's sad that God just took care of it. And what a sad ending. The glory of God is represented by the Ark of the Covenant indeed did depart. The Philistines ripped off the Ark, but God's presence was never invited in. And it's a sad state of affairs. The nation of Israel was living in unrepentance. And because of that, they were not living by faith. And because of that, they met defeat after defeat. And unfortunately, the same life can be seen over and over again among those who call upon the name of Jesus today. And how does it start? Well, it starts in this particular chapter. It starts with calamity. And that calamity is a time of testing. Where will you turn? Will you blame God or will you cry out to God? And you can see the path. We see the end. Ichabod. The glory has departed. Or... You can draw near to God. And the Bible says, if you humble yourself before the mighty hand of God, he will lift you up. And I want to end with this scripture. Would you turn over to 2 Timothy, please, chapter 3? 2 Timothy, chapter 3. God is faithful and will be available to all who call upon his name. Even as judgment had to come, there's always a faithful remnant. There's always a group seeking him. I know you may seem like it's small and, and your life even insignificant, but it's not. Seek the Lord, the Bible says, while he may be found. And let me just lay this scripture out for you so you can pray through it in your own life. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it says, But know this, in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves and lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And notice this, verse 5. You, this, this is such a sobering verse. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. That does not want to describe your life. Having an outward form of godliness. I've got the trinket. I've got the idol. I've got, I've got the candle. I've got the Bible. I've got, I've got everything that makes me look like it, but I don't have the power and the presence of our God. In the old King James, it's, you know, having a, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Denying the power thereof. The New Living Translation, they will act like if they are religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. 
Oh, that's powerful. That's how I felt when I read it. They will act as if they're religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. You must stay away from people like that. Or in the King James, it says, what does it say? And from such people turn away. You know, we we started out today with just this radical step of faith, and and maybe God hasn't called you into the mission field, maybe. Maybe he has, and you gotta get things in order in order for you to go. Have you put your house in order? Make sure things are tied up so you have no te- nothing tethering you back. But maybe you're not called into the mission field, but there are steps of faith that God has for you that are just as monumental. I know that God hasn't called me to go on a boat. I get seasick. That's how I know. He said, how do you know, Ed? I get seasick. That's a, it's pretty simple. I'm a land lover. I know what God's calling is in my life. But I don't know what new steps of faith he wants me to take. I want to find that out. Just because I know God's call in my life doesn't mean stepping out in faith is over. I want to step out in faith in places where, like, okay, God, I don't want to talk about steps of faith 14 years ago. I want to talk about steps of faith 14 minutes ago. What God's doing in my life, how he's leading me and my family and what he's asked me to do and what he wants me to do. Fresh, new work of his spirit. Not blaming him for calamity. You're listening to Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. And Ed, a question comes to mind that's often asked on the heels of a national calamity, like the pandemic that we recently experienced, and that is, why would God allow something like this to happen? Would you talk about that as we close? Well, you know, Larry, it's a real valid question to ask in times of difficulty, and especially huge difficulty, whether it's on a global scale or huge difficulty that has rocked your world personally. And it's a question that God allows. It's a question that God would even invite for you to bring your pain and your sorrow and your suffering to him. And I'm reminded what he told Isaiah in Isaiah 1, come and let us reason together. And God is reasonably going to give answers. But I'll tell you what I have found personally What I found personally, having experienced personal calamity myself and my family, is that my immediate question is why. And the problem with that question is that a why question is asking for more information. It's a valid question, but where it's leading me is down the road of of living my life based on information, as if if I got a, a clear answer, then I could trust that answer with the rest of my situations. But we know that the Bible teaches that we're to live by faith and not by explanation. We're to live by faith and not by information. And I'm pretty confident, knowing myself and and extending that to all of us, that even if we got a clear-cut answer, it would lead to more questions. Well, why didn't you do it this way? And what about this? And instead, God says, no, follow me. Come to me. Trust me. Because again, evil exists in the world because of sin. We live in a sin-soaked culture. Uh, Everything we deal with, we deal with the consequences of sin. Sometimes it's our own sinful decisions. Many other times it's the sinful decisions of others. But the pain we experience today is because of sin. And so let us run to God, not with the why questions, but the who question. Who is my God And who will I trust in difficult times? I know it's hard, uh, but we even put together, I wrote a book after my son passed away. It's not a book on grief, but it is a book on how to look to God in difficult times. It's called Help for the Troubled Heart. And I encourage you to pick it up wherever you get 
your resources, wherever you get your books. We have it in our store, calvaryco.store. But it's how God's help for the troubled heart. I know it will bless you on this topic. Thank you for sharing that, Ed. And friend, if you'd like to hear this message again, go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Now see if this sounds familiar. You have a stubborn habit. You've prayed about it, you've surrendered it to God, and yet you still can't seem to break free. It's about that time that discouragement can begin to set in. Well, today we'd like to recommend a helpful book authored by Erwin Lutzer called How to Break a Stubborn Habit. In it, you'll find three essential ground rules you need to accept in order to change. Also, discover the secret to dismissing tempting thoughts. And Erwin Lutzer uncovers the roles of God, Satan, and your loved ones in your success or failure. Request a copy today when you give a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Call 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryco.store. And here at Abounding Grace, we look to the Lord to provide for us. If he's leading you to take an active role in the ministry through either a one-time gift or ongoing monthly support, please visit us online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or call 877-30-GRACE. Well, that's going to do it for today. Come back tomorrow when Pastor Ed Taylor will pick up where we left off in 1 Samuel here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.